Well, tonight I want to continue to help us focus on the birth of Jesus by reading Luke chapter 2. And it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary to be betr- that he betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now this story is probably one of the most famous. It's one of the most celebrated. It's uh, one of the most uh, most loved and memorized uh, stories uh, of Christmas. Uh, This is probably a story that many of you uh, memorized when you were in grade school for the Christmas school play. Uh, this is the story that Linus quoted on Charlie Brown's Christmas, uh, if, if, you've, if you've seen that. It's a very famous, famous story. Many of us are familiar with it. But you know what they say about familiarity? Familiarity breeds contempt. And so what I want to do is, as we read the story tonight is I just want to walk through it a little bit, and I want you to sort of see it with fresh eyes tonight as we think about the birth of Jesus. This is how it begins. It says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now this, the first Christmas begins with a character that is not in many of our manger scenes, uh, Caesar Augustus. Now Caesar Augustus, this is the great nephew of Julius Caesar, and uh, he was reigning at the time of Jesus. Uh, he's also called Octavian. And uh, he, he rose to power through uh, winning a battle, a f- very famous battle called the Battle of Actium against Mark Antony. And so Mark want, or, uh, Luke wants to set the story of Jesus within its political and economic climate. And so under the reign in those days of Caesar Augustus, it says that a, de- a decree went out for all the world to be registered. And so Luke reminds us is that at this time, uh, the, is- the people of Israel were a province that was under the rule of, the, uh, of, of imperial Rome. And the rule of Rome was harsh, it was, it was powerful, it was oppressive. The Jewish people were heavily taxed. Uh, d- d- during the, the, the rule of Rome, uh, crosses would, would line the streets throughout the empire to show what happened to anybody who defied the power of Rome. And so this was during a very oppressive rule. And uh, they would tax the empire to, f- to fund the, the military that would guard all the outposts. And as they're taxing the people, the, people, the, the, the governor of Rome uh, has to, every once in a while, take a census to assess their tax base to see who is in the empire to, to pay the, the Roman uh, taxes. Then in verse, verse 4, it says, And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And so David lived in Nazareth, which was a podunk town, a very small little village, a province of Rome. And he, uh, he went on an 80-mile journey to go to Bethlehem, his, uh, the city of his ancestral birth, which uh, all the people had to do. They had to go to their ancestral city to be taxed, to be registered for the taxes. 
And uh, again, this is an 80-mile journey. And it says that uh, Joseph was betrothed to Mary. So you remember, Mary is pregnant. Imagine taking an 80-mile journey, pregnant, ladies. <laughs> and uh, so here they are. They're, they're going to uh, Bethlehem. They're on their way. And then in verse 6, it says, And while they were there, while they were in Bethlehem, the time for her to give birth, it was time for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And so many of us imagine this scene. This is the nativity, right? This is, uh, you know, many of us, have, it's, we picture the barn, you know, and the little baby Jesus out there with the hay and the animals and this wooden feed trough that he's lying in. And we kind of picture the drama of the night where, uh, Joseph, you know, his, his wife is going into labor, and so she's, he's going from end to end, desperate, you know, for a place to stay, and there's these cruel, you know, mean-spirited uh, innkeepers who say, no, go away, to Joseph and his pregnant wife. That's sort of the scene that we picture, but most scholars say it really wasn't like this at all. Another word for the word in here is, uh, or another uh, translation of it, it's just simply a peasant home. And so an inn, or uh, this word here, could also be uh, a, a normal, everyday uh, peasant home in that time. And so probably what it was like is Joseph went to this ancestral city of Bethlehem. Uh, he probably went to one of his uh, distant relatives' home, this little peasant home. Uh, Joseph and Mary were poor. The home was probably packed with people, with relatives coming to stay there because of the tax. And therefore, Joseph and Mary had to stay in a basement area, sort of a cave-like area where all the animals stayed. And this is where Mary gave birth to Jesus. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and she laid him there in a manger. And so picture this dark place, uh, picture cramped, uncomfortable, unsanitary, very little privacy, uh, very unremarkable. Jesus is born here in Bethlehem, in this peasant home or this inn because there's no place for him anywhere else. And what I want to do here is just draw your attention to the contrast between the birth of Jesus and the man who, uh, that we learn about when we first opened up the chapter, Caesar Augustus. You know, the birth of Jesus is set within the context of imperial Rome, of Caesar Augustus, of pomp and, and power. And notice the contrast there. You know, Caesar was probably born with great fanfare, Great power, great prestige, and here Jesus Christ is born very little fanfare, a silent night, unnoticed, unremarkable, very ordinary for a peasant family. It's very, very different than Augustus Caesar, the contrast. But what I want you to notice here is that this is a very, very humble birth. It's unremarkable, but because of that, it's very humble. Because realize, this is God that we're talking about. Like, Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And what does it say about God? That when the God of the universe chose to enter into the world that he created, this is how he came in. I mean, what does it say about God? The creator of the universe, when he chose to enter into his creation, this is what it looked like. It was ordinary. It was quiet. You know, he lived the first 30 years of his life in obscurity. What does this tell you about God? Well, this is what it tells us. It tells us that our God is humble and that he values humility. Unlike Caesar in Rome, unlike many of the, the celebrities and people of power in our world, the God of the universe values humility. 
The creator God is humble. I had a professor in seminary who used to say, you know, it's, it's true, you know, lots of people say that, God is, that, that Jesus is God. And that's true, Jesus is God. But he says, what I think is more remarkable is that God is Jesus. That Jesus was the man that God became when God became a man. That this is the man that he was, the peasant, the lowly, unremarkable birth of Jesus. God values humility. It also tells us about the salvation that God would bring. What's interesting is that when it talks about these cloths that Jesus was wrapped in and laid in a manger, the very same word is used at the very end of Jesus' life. Remember when they took him down from the cross and they wrapped him in cloths and they laid him there in the tomb? Very same Greek words here. And so Jesus' birth, his lowly birth, is pointing forward to his lowly death. And this is the way that God would save the world. Through a lowly death of criminals laid quietly in a tomb in obscurity. But this is the way God saves humanity. This is the way God saves us. He saves us through weakness. He saves us through a lowly death on a cross. And it also shows us about the way of salvation. The only way to come to God is to get rid of your pride and to come, with, come to him with nothing in your hands and receive the free gift of salvation. It is a lowly death, and the way of salvation is available only to those who will stoop down and will humble themselves and say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. One of my favorite theologians, John Gerstner, he always says this. He says, when it comes to Jesus Christ, when it comes to God, and when it comes to salvation, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. This is the way God saves the world. So if you're here tonight and you are lowly, let's say you feel like you do have nothing. There's nothing you can bring to God. You're in just the right spot to receive the salvation that God has given you through the death of his lowly son, Jesus Christ. And so tonight we're going to light these candles. And as we sing Silent Night, I want us all to, to remind ourselves of the lowly Jesus. And just remind yourselves, this is our God. This is the God that we serve. He's lowly. He's humble. He was born in an unremarkable way. And the way of salvation that he offers us is available to those who are lowly and humble, those who will let go of their pride and come to Jesus just as they are. And so I'm going to light the first candle, and we're going to sing Silent Night, and we'll pass it around.